We shall be reading from verse 8 through to the end of the chapter. We looked at uh, chapter 18 and the first part of chapter 19 last week where um, we saw that Judah here is under attack from the Assyrians ruled by King Sennacherib and he has sent one of his officials, the Rabshakeh, to taunt and to mock uh, the people of Judah. And uh, as we saw at the end, Hezekiah sought a word from the Lord and in God's goodness he sent him through the prophet Isaiah a word of assurance. And so we pick up our reading this evening in verse 8 of chapter 19. Let us hear God's word. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhakar, king of Cush, behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sephavayim, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivar? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord and you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains 
to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it's grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs of the same, Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downwards and bear fruit upwards. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his God, Adramelech and Shah-Ezir, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. It was reported this past week that the latest census shows that fewer than 50% of the British population now call themselves Christians. You've probably heard that news story. And of course, of those, only a very small proportion actually attend church on a regular basis and would be what we might call committed Christians. That there are so few genuine Christians in this country is, in one very real sense, concerning It would, of course, be far better if there were many more true believers in the UK. But at the same time, the fact that fewer and fewer British people believe in Jesus Christ shouldn't 
alarm or unsettle us overly. And the reason I say that is because regardless of what the census statistics tell us, the fact remains that the God of the Bible is true. The fact remains that the God we worship exists. The fact remains that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is the God who is there, regardless of what people believe or say. So, don't be too alarmed, if you were, don't be too alarmed that fewer people now call themselves Christians. Whatever the world might say in its wisdom, the God that we worship is the one, the true, and the living God. And this truth is the truth that comes through so very clearly in our passage this evening. This passage that we've just read is designed to reassure you, just as it was designed to reassure its first hearers, that the Lord our God, the covenant Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God, and that besides him there is no other. This evening I want to look at this passage under three headings. Number one, the arrogance of the mocker. The arrogance of the mocker, verses 8 to 13. Having heard that this king of Cush, Tirhakar, has set out to fight against him, the king of Assyria tries to intimidate Hezekiah to surrender. He doesn't want to have to worry about fighting the Judeans. So he tries to intimidate Hezekiah into making some kind of surrender. And you can see in these verses that his intimidation consists of two essential parts. First part is this. Sennacherib tries to undermine Hezekiah's trust in the Lord's truth, in the truthfulness of the Lord, the veracity of the Lord's word. That's what he says in verse 10. He says to Hezekiah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. You can't trust your God. He's deceiving you if you think that he is going to deliver you. He's not. And then the second part of Sennacherib's attempted intimidation is this. He tries to undermine Hezekiah's trust in the Lord's power. The Lord's ability to deliver and to save. That's what he goes on to say in verses 11 to 13. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? Of course you're not going to be delivered. What about all those other gods of the nations? They didn't deliver their people What about all those other kings who trusted in those other gods? How foolish were they to trust in gods who clearly had no power? And your God is just the same, so give in. Your God is not true, he's deceiving you. Your God is not powerful, he's weak compared to me. 
That's what Sennacherib is basically saying here. That is the content of his attempted intimidation of Hezekiah and the people of Judah. And what he says here is exactly the same, you may have noticed, as what the Rabshakeh had said back in chapter 18, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The Rabshakeh and King Sennacherib both are saying, God, the God of Israel, is not true and he's not able So don't trust him. And as I mentioned last time, the voice of the Rabshakeh and the voice this week of Sennacherib, they are really the voice of Satan. The Rabshakeh and Sennacherib are seeds of the serpent, children of the devil. And just as Satan arrogantly mocks the Lord, so too do his children. Don't trust God. He's deceptive. He doesn't tell you the truth. He's not honest with you. Besides, he can't help you. He's not all that powerful. And there continue to be many today who arrogantly mock the Lord, who arrogantly mock your faith in Jesus Christ, who essentially say to you, why are you a Christian? Don't you know that science has disproved the Bible? People used to believe that sort of stuff in the past, but not now. Now now we know better. Now we know that Christianity, I have some nice ethical teaching, but it's, it's basically not true. All of that supernatural stuff. It's superstition. And you'd be better off, therefore, putting your trust, well, in, in man. Look at all that man has achieved. It's really man that has the power, not... Not God, this figment of your imagination. And, and you don't really believe in a God, do you, who delivers people from hell and gives them eternal life. The voice of intimidation. That voice that Hezekiah heard over 2,000 years ago is the same basic voice that we continue to hear today in our world. And it is ultimately the voice of Satan, our enemy. Our enemy seeking at all times to intimidate you into abandoning the Lord. Seeking to intimidate you into abandoning your trust in the truth and the power of the Lord. Satan's tactics haven't really changed. He's actually not all that imaginative or creative. He just keeps going for the same things. You can't trust God. He's not true, he's not powerful, and he's not good. That's essentially what all of his temptations boil down to. The sad thing is he, he has been very successful at getting people to abandon their trust in the Lord. We need to resist such intimidation. We need to stand firm against such insolent and arrogant mocking of the Lord. And thankfully, this is exactly what we see Hezekiah doing 
as we go on in our passage. Which brings me to my second point this evening. The prayer of the righteous. We've seen the arrogance of the mocker. And secondly, we see the prayer of the righteous. What should you do when you're facing the the threats and the intimidations of the enemy? Well, you should do what Hezekiah does here. Take it to the Lord in prayer, as we've just sung. Hezekiah has received Sennacherib's taunting, intimidating letter. And what does he do? He goes up to the house of the Lord and he spreads it before the Lord. Perhaps he literally spread the letter out on the temple floor. I don't know. But whether he did or not, what we see Hezekiah doing here is casting his burden upon the Lord. In his utter helplessness, we see Hezekiah casting himself on the one who alone is able to help him. And he proceeds to pray what is a wonderfully God-centered God-exalting prayer. Look at how he begins his prayer. Verse 15, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. That's how Hezekiah starts his prayer, with praise, with worship. You, O God, are absolutely sovereign. You are our covenant Lord. We are in covenant with you. You are all-powerful. You are majestic. I am bowing down in praise in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of these assaults. I am bowing down in praise before you, the Lord of all creation. And I acknowledge, despite all that... Sennacherib and his officials are saying, I acknowledge that you and you alone are God. That besides you there is no other. You alone rule over the kingdoms of the earth, including the kingdom of mighty Assyria. You see what Hezekiah does as a righteous man, as a godly man. He centers himself upon the Lord That is his center of gravity, God himself. Facing the threats of the king of Assyria, he casts himself upon the king of the whole universe. And notice that in doing so, he counters the lies that Sennacherib, and behind Sennacherib, Satan has been speaking. Those lies that God is not true and that God is not able At the opening of his prayer, he counters them boldly and powerfully. You are the God who is true. You are the covenant Lord, the Lord God of Israel. You are enthroned above the cherubim. You rule over the kingdoms of the earth. You have all power. He's praising God and in doing so, countering the temptations to doubt God. 
the intimidation to abandon God. As one writer puts it, what we see Hezekiah doing here is speaking truth about God to God in order to stir up his assurance in God. That's what he's doing here. He's speaking truth about God to God in order to stir up his assurance in God. And this is something that you should do, brothers and sisters. When you are under attack, whatever attacks and assaults you are facing, when you are being mocked for your faith, turn to God in prayer and begin your prayer, not with yourself or your problems, but with God. Center yourself upon the Lord, the King of the universe. Speak truth about God to God in order to stir up your assurance in God. That's how you should begin your prayer. And Hezekiah then goes on to appeal to the Lord that he will hear his prayer. There's a humility here. He doesn't presume upon the Lord. Please hear what I am crying out to you with. Take note of the mocking words of Sennacherib. And then he goes on to state that the only reason Assyria has laid waste other nations is because their gods were not true gods. He exposes the lie that these gods are true, that they are real, that they have any existence. No, they're not gods. That's why you, why Sennacherib was able to conquer these nations. And then he concludes his prayer by saying in verse 19, So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please. From his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Friends, here is a prayer for you to copy. Here is a prayer for you to make your own whenever you are being tempted to doubt the truth and the power of God, which I imagine we are tempted to doubt more often than we might care to admit. Spread your cares out before the Lord. Spread them all out before him. He knows them anyway. Name and number them all. Worship the Lord. Praise him for who he is. And then go on to make your appeal. Hear me, O God. Help me. I'm being mocked by this person at work or that person at school for being a Christian, for believing the Bible. I'm being attacked for trusting in you and it's so very, very hard. I am wobbling. Please help me. Please save me. And do so, Lord, for your glory. That they might know that you and you alone are God. Have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? You should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord will hear you. And he will help you. Point number three. The decree of the judge. The decree of the judge. Verses 20 through to the end. Here we see the Lord's response to Hezekiah's prayer. And he responds by speaking to him through Isaiah, his prophet. And he speaks a word of both judgment 
and salvation. That is the basic content of what the Lord says here, judgment and salvation. He begins by decreeing judgment against Sennacherib and the Assyrians. It becomes very clear that the Lord has indeed heard the mocking words of the king of Assyria. Verse 22, whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against me, the Holy One of Israel. And then he goes on to recount the egregious arrogance of Sennacherib in verses 23 and 24. How he said, I did this, I did that, I conquered this land, I conquered that land. It's all of me, to me be the glory. But then the Lord cuts him down to size. Indeed, he mocks the mocker. Verse 25, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. I'm the one that lies behind all that's happened. All of your achievements, O Sennacherib, of which you are so very proud, I decreed them all in eternity. Before you were a speck of dust. You've conquered many nations and decimated their gods, have you? Well, that's only because I determined in advance that you would. Did you not hear that that was the case? You didn't. You obviously don't know very much, do you? By contrast, I know. I know, verse 27, you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. You have raged against me. I've heard it, I've seen it, I know it. And I am going to judge you. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. Sennacherib has engaged in the most egregious mocking of the Lord. He's deceptive. He's not true. He can't deliver you. He's not powerful. How does the Lord respond? He says, I know. In other words, I am true. And I've planned whatsoever comes to pass. In other words, I am all-powerful. God will not be mocked by the mocker. He will put his hook in Sennacherib's nose. He will put his bit in Sennacherib's mouth. A form of punishment that Sennacherib himself inflicted on so many of those he took into exile. God will mock and ridicule the one who dares to mock and ridicule him. But he will save his people.
Judah will again be fruitful. Verses 29 to 31. And Judah will again be secure. Verses 32 to 34. Judah will know peace and prosperity. As unlikely as that must have seemed at that particular time, the Lord promises, I will save you. I will give you peace. I will prosper you. I, in my zeal, in my passion for you, will do this. And I will do this not because you deserve it, but because I, in my covenant grace and commitment to you, have promised that you will be mine forever. I, verse 34, will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Why does God save us? Why does God defend us every day from the onslaughts of the devil? Why does God preserve us from all of the fires of hell that come raging against us? Not because we deserve it. We deserve to be consumed in the fires of hell Why does God prosper us and give us so much? Why does he bless us with everlasting peace? Why does he do any good at all for us? Simply because it pleases him to do so. I will do this. In my covenant grace and for the sake of my son Jesus, I will not deal with you as your sins deserve. I will lavish you with blessing upon blessing for all eternity. And you can be absolutely certain of this. You can be absolutely certain, brothers and sisters, that God will not judge you, but save you and save you forever. Because this is what he's promised to do. And in his absolute truth, And in his absolute power, God always keeps his promises. Isn't that what we see as our chapter closes? The Lord has decreed judgment against Assyria. And what do we read? Verse 35, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. What a bloodbath. There's judgment, all done by the angel of the Lord. It wasn't the people of Judah. It was all of God executing his righteous wrath against those who dared to mock him. And even though he returns home, Sennacherib can't escape the judgment of the Lord because, of course, the Lord rules over the kingdoms of the earth. He's not a mere local deity confined to the land of Judah. He rules over the kingdoms of men. And by his decree, Sennacherib's own sons kill him while he's worshipping his god, Nisroch. There's almost some, what do you call it? Is it dark humor? 
in this particular incident, as Sennacherib is slain by his two sons, it's almost as if in a final act of righteous mockery, the Lord is saying to Sennacherib, where is the God of Nisroch? Where is he? Can he not deliver you? You said that of me. You said that I could not deliver my people, but I have. Where is your God? He's nowhere. Because he's not a God. Of course, Nisroch couldn't deliver Sennacherib. Because like all the gods of the nations, because like the gods of Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, Because like the gods of so-called enlightened secular humanism, Nisroch was not a real god. He was the work of men's hands. Only the covenant Lord, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is God. He alone rules over the kingdoms of the earth. I hope you believe this. I hope you believe this. Because God will judge all those who don't. God will judge all those who mock him by not believing in him. By denying his truth and his power. God will mock for all eternity those who defiantly and arrogantly mock him. But... He will save all those who, like Hezekiah, cast themselves upon him, saying, I'm helpless. Help me. He will save all those, including vile, insolent mockers who cast themselves upon his son, Jesus Christ. It is a sad fact that fewer than 50% of people in this country now call themselves Christians. But do not let this sad fact alarm you. Do not let it unsettle you. It doesn't particularly, if at all, unsettle God. He's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Who cares what everyone else thinks? God laughs at them. He holds them in derision. You don't believe that I exist? You'll find out one day that I do. I will not be mocked. I will be glorified. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, rest assured, one day, Hezekiah's prayer will be answered in full. One day, all the kingdoms of the earth all the peoples of the nations will know with absolute certainty that the triune Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he alone is God. Amen.